0: dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring
1: the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan podcast superman in the bronze age from crisis to crisis a superman podcast superman forever radio the superman vidcast
0: the world's best podcast and radio kale from superman as well as the audio dramas superman last son of krypton and Supergirl Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer,
1: Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Jay David Weeder, Kamin Stall. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice,
0: and co-host Scotty V. At Superman supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hello, good listener, and welcome to episode 30 of Superman of the Bronze Age, the only podcast on the internet covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and this episode is the second half of the coverage of the issues with a cover date of August 1972. Like last time, I'm joined by J. David Weeder of Superman Forever Radio, Pad Smash and Incredible Hulk podcast, Xavier's podcast for gifted youngsters, The Mighty S.H.I.E.L.D., the Captain America podcast, and the Walking Dorks podcast. Last time out, we covered Superman 255 and World's Finest 213, which leaves August August. Action 415 for this episode, plus some ads and the Elsewhere in the DC multiverse. So, uh, without further ado, here are a couple of promos, and then we'll be back. After
2: these messages will be right.
0: Take the mightiest superheroes on Earth, each an invincible champion of justice, band them together in a common cause against crime and evil, and you have the Justice League of America.
1: And now, their adventures are being chronicled on the Podcast of Justice a bi-weekly podcast
0: covering every issue of the Justice League from the Silver Age to today. Join hosts Charlie Emeyer and Isaac Frisbee
1: at podcastofjustice.blogspot.com
2: December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents... The The All-Star Squadron! The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday, at two com. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics Magazine.
0: Action Comics 415, which had an on-sale date of June 1929. No? <laughs> June 29th, 1972, <laughs> and had an August of 72 cover date with the $0.20 cover price with another Nick Cardi cover which shows Superman yanking on a woman. Let that sink in. And then Mm -hmm. (laughs) a green monster arm also yanking on the same woman and it just says Meet the Metropolis Monster. So, speaking of which, the title of the story is Meet the Metropolis Monster. Written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by Murray Boltanoff. So one day in Metropolis, we see a monster climbing up the side of the WGBS building. However, even with super-sensitive hearing that he possesses, it's the monster's musty odor that first gets the attention of Clark Kent as the monster enters his office window. Demonstrating its great strength, the monster tears Clark's shirt and coat apart, revealing the Superman costume underneath. Clark headbutts the monster. But it still doesn't seem to do much, as the monster slams Clark in, onto his desk, destroying it. Clark gives the monster a super kick, which causes the monster to topple out of the window and crash into—yeah, into—sorry, crash into the street below, leaving a three-foot deep indentation. The monster then gets up and walks away. At which point, a shocked Clark decides not to follow, uh, because the innocents could be hurt even as he witnesses a guy drive his car into a fire hydrant. Suddenly there's a knock on his office door, and Clark has to think fast in order to save a secret identity. So, even though we don't see this, I'm going to tell you what he does. Moving at invisible super speed, Clark grabs another suit from his office wardrobe, changes into it, flies out the window, back in, back in through an open window down the hall, and comes up behind his concerned coworkers, and acts shocked when they all see the damage to his office later that night while the police are able to spot the monster who now apparently has a female hostage Superman still can't find the monster despite his supervision fortunately his super sniffer does pick up that musty odor again and he follows it to a young man in strange attire who has apparently been fatally wounded he tells Superman that he created the monster and that the only way to stop it will be to bring it back no bring him back to life after he dies at which point he does that Uh, Even later that evening, we see the monsters. No. Later that evening, we see the monster winning a battle against a police cruiser while Superman watches a report on the Expositional News Network in Clark's apartment, where we learn that, so far, no one has been injured by the monster, not even the guy who drove into a fire hydrant three pages earlier. Also, they report that the female seen with the monster appears to be a willing hostage, which must mean that the monster possesses some kind of hypnotic power. So Superman at this point decides that enough is enough. He takes the body of the monster's creator to his fortress, builds the closest reconstruction of a Kryptonian revitalizer that he can manage from memory, lays the man on the table, and activates it, setting a tremendous high voltage of electricity flow into the body, bringing the man back to life. At this point, the monster smashes through the side of the fortress, but this time he can speak. And through a series of flashbacks, he reveals that he's the last of his alien race, and also a brilliant scientist who was experimenting with creating synthetic life, a male and a female. Thanks to some temporary rifts between his world and ours, he was able to observe our planet and create beings that looked human. Unfortunately, the cell-creating chemical that he used to create the male humanoid was a faulty mixture, which means that he had to dispose of the male humanoid before he caused a great disaster. Unfortunately, he was only able to wound the humanoid before he escaped through one of those temporary rifts and escaped to Earth. Which means I said escape twice, which John Wilson will probably get after me because I'm sure that's not grammatically correct somehow.
1: Oh, you'll get emails.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Or at least Facebook posts or something. Um, He followed and had gone to Superman for help, but his vocal cords did not... No, wait. Oh, the the monster scientist guy followed and had gone to Superman for help, but his vocal cords did not adapt to Earth's atmosphere immediately. He hoped that revealing Superman's costume under Clark's Clark's clothes would clue the hero in, but as we know, it didn't. Because it doesn't make much sense. Also, the blonde quote-unquote hostage from earlier is actually the female humanoid, uh, who can't talk because her cell mixture was also faulty. But... We don't see her now... oh, well we do see her now, but we don't see how, when, or why she came to Earth. Now, while this whole recap has been going on, the male humanoid has escaped the fortress through a hole in the wall, leaving behind a trail of giant protoplasmic cells. See, this is a disaster that was mentioned earlier. The humanoid can produce millions of these cells every second until they smother the Earth. Since Superman is basically responsible for this, since he revived the humanoid, Superman flies after the creature. Realizing that millions of cells would be too much even for him to handle, he plows up some snow at super speed to bury the creature. He then uses some ultra frigid super breath to permanently freeze the creature, and with the humanoid now in a state of suspended animation, all those other cells he created die. Meaning that Superman is now what are we at? Three for four on the issue count for the month for yeah. this episode <laughs> where he's killed something? <laughs> uh Later, the scientist monster heads back to his world with a female humanoid, vowing to create another mate for her. And, since I started last time, you can start the notes this time. I don't have a lot of page by page, but I like the flip-flop of
1: the creature, or what we perceive to be the creature actually being the good guy, (laughs) Uh and the good-looking scientist actually being the problem. And I liked, yeah. I liked finally getting the explanation for this cover. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does help. Well, it was in a, uh, a Superman calendar from a couple of years ago, which I actually cut out all of the pictures and put them in 8 by 10 frames for a long time. So I cool. I saw this one quite a bit, and I always wondered what the story was. So it's nice I to finally com- see that.
0: I always confused it with an issue of Action Comics that happens about a year later where there's another monster, and I think they actually refer to it as a Metropolis monster. It doesn't look like Frankenstein like this one, but I used I used to confuse them. But yeah, I. while you don't actually see this scene happen, it is nice to see what the heck the Metropolis monster was. Mm-hmm. And um, it also reminded me, there was a story during um, that, which is reprinted in that whole Superman, Kryptonite, Nevermore trade, um, or actually hardcover, uh, but it's from when Denny O'Neill was first did his first year worth of Superman stuff, and they had that one with the angels. Um, I don't know if you've read. You've I, probably I'm read not that familiar one. with that one now. Uh, the, it's um, Superman f- uh, fights some bad guys with Batman, and he goes to his fortress to check to try some to do some experiments with his brain to see if he can find a way to make it to see if it's close enough that if he should try to have a child to see if it would be possible or whatever. But anyway, he falls asleep and he finds himself taken to some world where he's got angels and basically demons. And the whole point of the story is the angels are trying to get him to stop the demons. So Superman goes to do that, but something doesn't seem right. It turns out the demons are actually police officers from some planet and the angels are the bad guys and that teaches Superman the lesson or is supposed to have taught Superman the lesson that you can't go by looks and then he completes it, completely forgets it here <laughs> but <laughs> yeah that was that was from I want to say 230 something 237 238 236 236 I think yeah anyway Superman two thirty six, I believe it is. Uh, but anyway, um, now I, I found this to be a rather quick read. Um, it was, I don't know, they ha- It was, it was interest. It was weird. It was a quick read. Uh, it's not my favorite story. Uh, although between the monsters' look and Superman using large amounts of electricity to revive the humanoid, uh, it appears that Bates was somehow inspi- was somewhat inspired by the Frankenstein movie just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did like the art, but a few times I do have, there are a few times I have some problems with it and that's just because there's literally things that happen off panel and we only know it because of someone's thought balloon. Like Clark uh, slipping out of his office, which was
1: would have been fun to see because I was like seeing Clark shimmy his way out of a exactly. bad situation.
0: Exactly, yeah. Even just the little motions of that. I mean, I I can picture it in my head. Kurt Swan art with the building, Superman, you know, all the little images of Clark or Superman, whoever, depending on how he drew it, moving across to the other side of the building and then the next panel would, him, would be him walking up. Even if they had a little caption box, Superman changes to, you know, grabs another costume, switches, you know, flies around and does all that stuff. It just, you didn't see it. And then when the, the monster hits the ground, and you don't see him hit the ground, you don't see that he's created a three-foot indentation, and he says he's sitting up before we actually see him already sitting up. And same thing when he revives the humanoid, is he's standing there. We're looking at Superman. I mean, they take a panel to show it, instead, or to show Superman's reaction instead of actually showing it happen. But they, we have a panel of Superman standing there looking, at, I guess, at the creature and say, oh, he's got a leg shaking. It appears he's waking up <laughs> and stuff like that. It's like, why don't you show him sitting up or something? It's yeah. uh, Now, I, I do have a couple of page by page notes. Uh, on page one, I'm wondering how Clark did not notice the monster climbing up the building before he was at his window because we have people noticing it and saying stuff about it, I would imagine that a monster climbing up the window makes some kind of noise. Uh, but somehow it was able to sneak up on him until he was able to smell the musty odor.
1: So he smelled it before he saw it, or heard it,
0: even though he has right. super hearing. Exactly. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Now maybe he was typing up a story, so maybe he was just lost in the typing of the story, but I would think something like that would kind of pull... I don't know. Um, although... It does help with the story because if he had noticed the musty odor then, he wouldn't have noticed the musty odor later, which would have made it more difficult to find the humanoid guy. But I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, page three. Uh, there was some cool stuff here. This is part of the two-page spread of the fight between Superman and the monster. Um, now how often... When when Kurt Swan is doing the artwork, do we see Superman headbutting, or being slammed to a desk? And all I can say is not very often. I can't think of any to be honest. I I can rarely yeah I can rarely Superman doesn't get into too many throwdown fights like this. There might be some punches and kicks, but there's rarely any headbutting. So I thought that was actually really cool. Um, Let's see, page eight, panel three. Um this was this actually kind of made me chuckle a little bit uh because superman is sitting there contemplating his next course of action while the humanoid's dead body is just lying under a white sheet on Clark's bed which I'm thinking can't be very sanitary no <laughs> <laughs> and I know uh, he's got to sleep there's, there's probably going to be a musty odor uh not to mention I don't they don't tell you how much time is going so there could be any kind of smells um. yeah um, and that's all I got uh, the rest of the story was actually pretty cool I like the idea of how Superman um, took out the humanoid creature although again he's killed cells and cells are basically life forms so Superman once again has killed so this has been a very murder for Superman
1: yeah it feels like I'm on the wrong show <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just wait until the next issue when he, get, he tears down the tenements. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, but uh, this story also has not yet been reprinted, and we seem to be in an era where we don't get a lot of that.
1: That's why I was, I was actually going to, I was thinking about before, as I was preparing for the show, that you don't see a lot of Bronze Age reprints. Mm-mm. You see Silver Age left and right, Golden Age is fairly common. Of course, Modern Age is built for trades, but this, right. is, this is an era that's kind of neglected in that era, in that department.
0: Yeah, and it, it's really annoying too because a lot of the stories one they're not easy to find. Granted, most of them you can find in some condition, probably in a for one to two dollars an issue, even considering they're almost forty years old. But if you do see any reprints, it's the really early stuff, like literally 1970, 1971, like the Kryptonite Nevermore stuff and. The first few issues of the action comics uh, run after Weisinger retired is actually um, in, like, Superman 30s to the 70s or Superman 30s to the 80s, but that's it. Yeah. And you hardly ever uh, – now, other than, you know, such books as Superman in the 70s and Superman in the 80s, um, you really don't see reprints of this era hardly at all. Um Actually, I think the only other big issue you actually see reprinted from this, uh, from the Bronze Age, is maybe that must there be a Superman? But beyond that, that's probably just about it. Everything else is going to be pretty new to everybody. So that's another reason why I did this because it's they're not exactly easy to find, and it's a good era to, you know, follow. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of stuff happens. I mean, at some point, Candor gets enlarged. Spoiler alert. Candor gets enlarged, you know. Supergirl changes costumes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a couple of times, several times. Um, well, see, when she was uh, when she first started in Adventure Comics, uh, like right around 1970, uh, she was literally changing her costume like every every issue. It was terrible. There are some really not flattering ones, and then there was really some that really didn't leave much to the imagination. But you know what? This is a Superman podcast. So I'm just going to move on. (laughs) Speaking of a Superman podcast, we're going to do the backup story, which features Metamorpho. Metamorpho, Metamorpho. Metamorpho,
2: Metamorpho. This is the story of the element man. Metamorpho, Metamorpho. Starts out in old Egypt land. Mason was his real name. Metamorpho, metamorpho, a soldier of fortune didn't care
0: about fame. Metamorpho, metamorpho, until fate took a hand. Uh the story title is Fill My Grave with Money. It was written by Bob Haney, with the artist being John Kellnan and edited by Murray Boltonov. Now this now this story starts off actually pretty cool. First as liquid, then in a gas form, Metamorpho makes his way down into a crumbling mine, or mine as it was, finding himself surrounded by the skeletons of other buried workers before this section of the mine collapses on our chemical hero. Up above, a reporter for the Expositional News Network, which is getting a lot of airplay these days, uh, brings us up to speed on what's been happening. Basically, Harvey Weeks, has buried himself in the mine to help his family. Up to, up to until about two weeks ago, Weeks was a foreman on one of Simon Stagg's mines. The mine, si- uh, the mine Stagg decided to close down because it will bring him more money as a tax loss. This means Weeks will be out of a job, but his son has rare kidney disease and the family savings has been wiped out by the expensive treatments. So a week later, he decided to bury himself in the mine in order to get publicity, which in turn will raise money for his family even if he dies in the mine. Within a few days, supporters have raised plenty of money, filling at least one barrel, and Stag has offered to spare no expense to save him. Stag's daughter, Sapphire, talks Metamorpho into going down to check on him, which catches us up to the present. Our hero has of course survived and changes his ear into a stethoscope and eventually hears some digging noises so creating a magnesium drill from his hands he drills through and finds that weeks has been transformed into some kind of frankenstein-like monster because we haven't had enough of that this issue metamorpho quickly subdues weeks just as stag's drill makes it in, makes it to their le- yeah metamorpho quickly subdues weeks just as stag's drill makes it to their level of the mine So changing his legs to hydrogen, Metamorpho is somehow able to break the laws of physics and float to the surface, carrying weeks, um, even though that that probably shouldn't be able to happen. Unfortunately, things don't go well for weeks on the surface. Staggs sticks him with the bill for the rescue costs. The government takes a bunch of his raised money for taxes, and he's then fined for disturbing the peace, creating a public hazard, and for fraud, leaving him more poor than he was before he started all this. And leaving me to think he's trying to be Peter Parker that night. Stag is awakened by Weeks, who has apparently returned to his monster form and is out for revenge. Using his pickaxe, he misses Stag, but reveals that Stag's mattress is full of money. Uh, scared, Stag tells him to keep it as, yeah, scared. Stag tells him to keep it as he flees. Leaving the room, we see the monster revert to Metamorpho, who decided to help Weeks in his unique way. He then delivers the money to Weeks, stating that it was donated by a nameless benefactor. But soon, Stagg takes credit for donating the money to weeks. And that's pretty much where we end. And what did you think about this one?
1: I ended up more confused at the end than at the beginning. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is a pretty confusing story for, what, seven pages?
1: Well, that may be the weakness, is that maybe there just wasn't enough space to do the story correctly.
0: Yeah, the first story they did was like over two pages, or two pages. <laughs> that helps. Uh, it was a two-issue thing, so that helped. But this one, they really had to cram all that gram, and it just didn't work.
1: It's weird because you don't see that much metamorpho, really. He's there, he's present, but he doesn't do all that much.
0: Exactly. It's, it's the same thing. The last two issues, it was basically Simon, Simon Stag and his chemical friend. Is what it's <laughs> been for... <laughs> Most of this, it's now see, and it's interesting because Bob Haney is, I don't, I'm guessing he's the creator, but he's he's he wrote, he was one of the original writer of the story of Metamorpho. She so would think he'd have a better idea of how to do a Metamorpho story, but maybe this is just his way. I don't know. But what I was gonna say was, I don't have a page by page on this either, so I just have an overview. Um. And first of all, I thought the art was good. I don't know about you. Now, the last couple of stories, last couple of stories, John Calnan was inked by Murphy Anderson. And I don't know if it was just the way... I don't know if it was Anderson's idea or if it was an editorial decision or if Calnan drew it that way and then Murphy Anderson just inked it. But um, basically, the character's... That had been in the Metamorpho book before. The uh, Simon Stag, Metamorpho, Sapphire Stag, and their uh, and the butler guy who's actually a caveman, Neanderthal person. Java, I think. Jaga, Java. Did you just
1: go politically correct for Neanderthals?
0: I did. Okay.
1: (laughs) Just in case there's any out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, they, you know, Geico, uh, not Geico. What's that? Who do no, they
1: it was Geico at one time, I think. It was Geico,
0: yes. Um yeah, so simple even a caveman can do it. Anyway. Um And then David Weaver now... stormed off the, off of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Oh, uh, sorry. Anyway, yeah. Uh, what, what they had been, what they had done in the last two uh, two issues was they actually made the faces on all, at least the faces on all the care, on all those characters that had been there before, actually look like um, the way Ram- Ramona Fraidon used to draw them, because that was the original artist of Metamorpho. And meanwhile, any other character, of course, I think it, on those two stories there was only one other person, but any other character that showed up had a normally drawn Calden face well this time there's no Murphy Anderson and they decided not to do that on the faces so Stag actually looks like just a normal guy doesn't look like he's got a somewhat cartoony face because Ramona Freydon is a good artist but kind of has a cartoony bent I don't know if you've seen any of I think that's a her any of her work uh, she used to draw Super Friends and early early okay Aquaman stuff. So, uh, it's got that... It, it kind of looks more like Golden Age Superman stuff more than the modern 70s stuff is basically the way to look at it. You know, it's, it's more simple, square, jaw. actually a lot more like uh, comparing the animated series to live action. Oh, okay. If that helps. So... This time, you know, he looks. Uh, all the characters look more real. They're, Metamorpho has some stuff on his face sometimes that kind of looks Freydon esque I guess you could call it. But I think most of that is just the way his face is designed, is that you can't do a whole lot of, it doesn't look that different, at least at this point, they don't have it in a way, there's not many features on it, it's mostly in eyes, not much of a nose and a mouth, and you can't really do too much to change that without, you know, adding a nose. They do later, but at this point, it's just, he has a look that, it's definitely different, but it's very still Freighton-esque, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, um, yeah, so I like that on the art. Uh, I thought the intro to the story was really cool, um, seeing the little panels of him, of Metamorpho, getting down into the thing, first as liquid, then as gas. Um, it was a good way to bring us I thought it was a pretty good way to bring us into the story and demonstrate metamorphosis powers at the same time, but I found the rest of the story really depressing and um, weeks was just trying to you know help his family and ended up even in worse condition it it seemed like now to me it seemed like if Stagg was a good guy, say like someone like Bruce Wayne he would have offered to find another place to put weeks so that or maybe even help pay for the kids treatments because I'm used to reading Batman stuff more than Metamorpho but here Simon Stagg reminds me more of the post-crisis Luther Um, basically he he just says I can't help you you know you're out of here basically and then helps to get the guy saved and then ends up sticking the guy with the bill just seems very although Luther would have stuck him with the bill without anyone knowing about it and then made sure he died later or something like that, so but that that I don't know that that's all I have to say on it. I pretty much said my piece, so <laughs> okay, and again, this story has not been reprinted
2: After these messages will be. Right back. In October. Return to the fight for freedom. In the name of adventure. I'm Luke Skywalker. Uh, I have a really bad feeling about this. Return of the Jedi. I will not fight you. You must confront Vader. You are unwise to lower your defenses. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas present. The time for our attack has come. The last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. How could they be jamming us? If they don't know. If we're coming, it's a trap! Your fleet is lost, and your friends will not survive. Don't move. I love you. I know. There is no escape. <laughs> Turn of the Jedi with newly enhanced visual effects, DHX and digital sound, and a few new surprises. Live the magic, experience the power, and feel the force like never before. I am a Jedi like my father before me. So be it, Jedi. In October, the last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition, Return of the Jedi at two twotruefreaks.lipson.com. The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on peter david hulk like to read peter david comics hulk have problem making words hulk write down peter david wrote a seminal run on the incredible hulk for 12 years some of the most provocative compelling stories came from this era filled with striking psychological overtones bold character developments and sharp humor along with artists like Todd McFarlane, dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David podcasts. Hulk uh, find Peter David podcasts. Hulk get mad.
1: Hulk smash. Hey folks! In order to appease the rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David pad smash an incredible hulk podcast looks at the entire peter david run on the hulk issue by issue in a bi-weekly format join me j david weeder on a journey through the saga of Old Jade jaws at www.incrediblehulk incredible hulk and all related characters copyright marvel comics Bad Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal
0: leakage. Okay, so first up, we have the inside front cover, and we have the chop cycles. Rip Snorton three-wheeled Sizzler-powered machines.
1: Yeah. Which means
0: that, now I don't know how they get the Sizzlers to work on the cars, but that's pretty cool. That kid looks happy with it, though. Yeah. Looks like they hook up a battery to it. That's kind of cool, but...
1: I thought it was air pressure. That's it. You just pump.
0: Oh! Yeah, that probably works, too. Okay, and then uh, uh let's see a few pages in we have we have the imposters which the example they have it starts off looking like a Volkswagen Beetle such as maybe Bumblebee from the Transformers and it turns into a mean-looking racing machine kind of kind of does. Well, it might look better if it's not drawn. But I like that they see check this out 10 years before it comes out these cars basically transform and the ad says there's a lot more to there's a lot more car than meets the eye touche yes so see transformers stole that um all the way in japan when the toys were already out (laughs) exactly well yeah um well you know they look you know they figured no one from america is going to notice that we're doing this sure um then we have the famous name prizes or cash for selling stuff, I guess. And you can win so- all sorts of cool stuff, including...
1: Oh, it's the Olympic
0: sales. Yeah, you would actually sell yes. stationery. Oh, a stationery. Okay. But you could win... Check this out. Check this out. Stereo phonograph. Axe and knife set. <laughs> a cassette tape recorder. A baseball glove. A poodle radio, an engine kit, a General Electric digital clock radio, and a walkie-talkie set, an electronic football game. Now, I haven't—I know that they didn't have videos back—video games back then yet. But I'm guessing that that's one of those where you set all the players up, you turn it on, and it just vibrates, and the things just move around.
1: It's either that, and... or they used to have one that had the little
0: head lights.
1: Okay. To resemble
0: players, yeah, <laughs> that's just sad. I, I'm granted. I'm a guy that likes to play his Madden twelve and stuff. So that is, yeah. Um, there's also a cool racetrack set. Now I don't know if and that's probably not the same one, but I know my grandparents had one when I was little, and I love that racing set. That's all I'm gonna say. They even have a pocket radio, some TV, a TV, a portable table radio, a non-stereo phonograph, a camera outfit, radio base station, a tent, some watches, there's all kinds of stuff. And the biggest one I found appears to be the stereo Yep. Nope. The TV. You had to sell 54 boxes of this stationary stuff to get a color, a portable TV set, and since it's portable in the 70s, I'm guessing it's probably black and white. So that's sad. Uh, anyway, moving on.
1: Poor people uh, in the 70s and their lack of color.
0: Oh, I know. Well, they had a lot of brown. True. <laughs> a lot if you just... anything you see, this like it's like the 60s was a bunch of black and green or blue, green and purple for some reason, and the uh, 70s was brown and orange and yuck uh then we have the little um task force tank trap ad where for just a buck sixty nine plus hand plus postage you can get a bunch of basically army men and vehicles and things tanks with moving equipment tank mines, and I've heard that those were really cheap like cheaply made and stuff so
1: like tank oh never mind, I realize what you're talking about now.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you meant uh, that
1: the actual tanks were cheap. And I'm like, um. Oh no no
0: no no no. Who no, are no, you? No. Who are you trafficking with?
1: <laughs>
0: no no no. Um, then we've got uh one of those cool weight, uh weight training ads. That's a Joe Weeder breakthrough. Now it's spelled different, so I'm guessing it's not related to you. No relation, no. Okay, but it's the end of a skinny body. Although, I don't know that that's the same person. Two weeks later,
1: I they. No, that's like Lou Ferrigno and,
0: and Bill Bixby standing <laughs> next to each other. Yeah, that's that's not the same person. Wow. Okay. Um then we have from DC. New, eerie, fantastic. From the midst from the mists of the past comes a strange, unearthly hero, the demon. Jack Kirby's startling new epic, The Origin of the Demon. And that just looks awesome. I always forget that Jack Kirby created Etrigan. Yeah, I haven't read any of his stuff. I I don't forget it because they keep... Hom- hom- homaging. They keep drawing him to look a little Kirby-esque. But, yeah, I don't... I don't know how different this is. He doesn't get... He's only around for a little bit because pretty soon Jack Kirby's going to leave DC, I think. But, um... And then I don't know that he... That the demon comes back until the late 70s, maybe even the mid 80s. I was thinking, yeah, it was a little
1: bit here and there, but mostly, yeah, late mm-hmm. uh, late 80s, post crisis.
0: Yeah, he he's not going to be one of the, his more most famous creations, which is probably why people such as you don't remember that he made them. But he definitely got the look that he always has. Pretty much, yeah, he has not changed just, the whole since oh, his creation. His boots might be a different color, but other than that... Of course, it could be just weird coloring because it's a cover recreation on the inside page of a comic book. True. And right below that, you can get a high-paying job in drafting.
1: Woohoo. hoo You can rush, rush the coupon. You need the coupon to get a
0: high-paying job in drafting. Yes. <laughs> you need the coupon. It doesn't matter which, how good you are as long as you got the coupon. Now, a couple pages later, and this is right at the end of the... Krypton story. Mm-hmm. Well, in Superman it is. I'm sure it's at the end of other stories in the other. Um, a very different comic mag is coming by Joe Orlando, Joe Orlando, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. It's the Swamp Thing. Do, 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 do.
1: Bernie Wrightson um. draws the
0: best Swamp Thing. Yes. Um, I, the art is not that clear, but that definitely looks like an Arson, arson an awesome Swamp Thing. I've heard a lot of good stuff about um a time when Swamp Thing met up with Batman too.
1: Uh, if I, it's in the Brain of the Bold if I remember correctly.
0: At, it might be at one point. I'm sure. Uh I know they talk about it. Uh, do you, do you have any like um the those books like the Krypton Chronicles? I have, yeah, I have Not... the Krypton Companion. The Krypton Companion. Yep. They have a Batcave Companion. And they one of the people they interview in that is Lynn Wein and he talks at length about when they did the Swamp Thing Batman team-up, because they got... I don't remember if it was actually in Swamp Thing's book, but they actually... Because I know they weren't on it for that long, and this was early in the 70s, and I think they came back and did that later on in the 70s, I guess? I'm not sure. But they actually had um, Batman team-up with them, and apparently Lynn Wein is still to this day of amazed at the artwork that Bernie Wrightson did for that because not only did he do so good with the stuff on Swamp Thing but his Batman just was perfect and very moody and everything. But
1: yeah, you can't go wrong with Wrightson, that's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't seen too much that I didn't like about him. Um and I've seen quite a bit of his artwork. Um then we have an ad similar to one from before, except in this time instead of army stuff, we have. Um, well, it's still armies, but we have medieval, uh, like medieval, and then like colonial, so that's a little different. And there's still a cannon. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, not not colonial, civil war. So we have civil war and medieval, so that's cool. And then. um... Why wait? Now you can be a high school graduate. It's easy, and you can do it quickly and enjoyably at home in your spare time with Franklin Academy's exclusive Select a Course Diploma Training Opportunity. That's right. And I don't think that's still in business. Which reminds me, I like the, um, was, it, was it on Pad Smash that you followed that ad and called a phone number yes. and it turned out it, did, it, was, it was a apparently <laughs> yeah that was hilarious <laughs> I liked it then you even went there hello hello are you there <laughs> I can't remember her name but Edith. yeah you Edith was, Edith Edith <laughs> Edith is that you that was pretty cool <laughs> well, it just it hit me that I always
1: wondered about those and now that I'm an adult I can actually call
0: them so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was I never heard of anyone doing that I've, I've often thought of doing this or sending some of these in to like <laughs> the random These addresses business. yeah like this junior sales club thing on the inside back cover uh, no posts is just necessary if it mailed within the United States you can just throw it in the thing of course I'd have to cut up this cover um, or scan it there you go and uh, just to see what would happen I mean, it'd be free right <laughs> but anyway the uh, <laughs> now on this one I don't know what you're selling greeting cards Yay! Now their prices are very similar But they don't have as many And you don't have to sell As many orders which means it's probably harder To sell an order of this than it was To sell the stationery Oh Charlie I
1: want the dip and mold candle maker
0: Oh Where is that (gasps) You only have to sell one order for that Yep, I'd get my grandma to do that Awesome I don't know about you though I want the instant load flash camera outfit that just looks keen. <laughs> <laughs> Although the portable radio phonograph thing was pretty cool too. I bet you could podcast on that. Oh yeah, totally. Or maybe the cassette just... tape recorder would be easier. Well, yeah, that But imagine all of it together. Oh, oh I know. Yeah, contain yourself. Um, technology <laughs> and if you can sell a set, now after you get your dip and mold candle maker, if you sell one more order, you can get yourself an electric can opener, one of the newfangled things. Because mm-hmm. you know kids just love opening cans. Of uh, whoop, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then they got a Navajo rucksack, Man, what? which doesn't sound that doesn't that sounds dirty too. Um, a Navajo rucksack. I don't. It looks like it's just a backpack.
1: Oh, okay. Like a like weather forecaster.
0: Now, that looks cool, kind I of, guess. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the table tennis and pool table thing, that looks kind of nifty. A little cheap, but nifty. Nifty. Apparently my accent's coming out. And I don't even have nifty. one. Nifty. They even have a Voight skin diving outfit for one order. Well, That's right.
1: What, isn't a skin-diving outfit skin?
0: Am I yeah, not understanding per- the concept? Well, if I'm going by the image correctly, it's a face mask with the snorkel. <laughs> that's not an outfit, then. That's a no, face mask that's, with the snorkel. That's, that's the face mask with the snorkel. But it sounds cooler when you call it a skin-diving outfit. <laughs> okay. And right next to, oh, no, wait, wait, I'm sorry. There's also flippers. Oh, okay, now it makes sense. Yes, now, now, see, now it is a full outfit.
1: Now I'm excited. Um, I know, yeah. I'm going to sell these things left and right.
0: <laughs> and you can either try to, wow, now, to do this, you get a, an order of 12 greeting card boxes to sell, and you can either get Christmas cards or all-occasion cards. And... I'm reading too much into this ad, so I'm just going to move on. Um, And then the last page, the back cover, we have an ad that's been on the back cover for the last few months of issues, and it's the Snap-Tight Drag Construction Models, which look like um, normal construction equipment on crack, except for the mountain mover that is falling over. Yeah, I'm not so secure with that. Yeah, yeah. Do you think with those giant tires in the back, it'd be a little more stable? But nope, just falls right over. Apparently. Well,
1: plus, it has a it has a load in its in its yeah, so, container. Yeah,
0: so, yeah, and so you're not going to be able to really carry that too far. But so yeah, this is what it would look like if, you know, those guys at um, pimp my ride, got a hold of a tractor, and things. A screaming skip shovel. That's right, and the boss bulldozer. Yeah. Ooh. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> um moving on real quick hopefully to the uh elsewhere in the DC multiverse, which I guess I can actually take over that name now because um believe it or not, the um who are those guys? Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner from not too, well, they're on Two True Freaks, but I'm thinking of Tales of the JSA have decided to change the name of theirs to uh, Meanwhile, based on the Dick Giordano's Meanwhile columns. So now I can call it Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse without you know getting sued by them. So that's kind of cool. I don't have um, to sue you either, so good. Oh, you do that too? Elsewhere in the DCU. Oh, see, yeah, see, so that uh, I was Although trying to. Now that to I think
1: about with... it, yeah, the multiverse would be appropriate. But, um,. Yes.
0: Plus, Crisis from Crisis does it, too, so you got to be careful with yeah. them. You never know. They're, well, they're zany guys. I know that Michael Bailey guy. He's Sue Happy. He is. He's also Rachel Happy and... Yes. Ha ah, never mind. Sorry. Okay, so first up we had Falling in Love, number 135, which is another I just one got of those that. romance that. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all right. <laughs> um, if you want, I can cut that part out. So no, that's like fine. It it's kind of funny. Okay, cool. Um, then we have Forever People number 10 featuring Dead Man. Huh? That's right. And it's The Dead Man, as drawn by Jack Kirby. And it looks kind of nifty. A little different, but it's Jack Kirby drawing Dead Man. That's right. The Dead Man. A new life for Deadman, Man, hijacked by the scavengers. Pretty cool. Okay, we have Ghost number 7, which has... A very, what's the word I'm looking for? A stereotypical seance person. Looks like he's from Street Fighter, um, bringing a ghost out of the ground, surrounded by snakes. So that's pretty cool. Mike Kaluta covered. It's, it's not bad looking, but it's not the best cover I've seen him do. Uh, there's our army at war number two forty-eight, and you can chime in anytime. Um, Am I supposed okay? to? I was
1: just letting you let you if do you your want show. To,
0: if you want to. You're the guest. You can talk about things. Um, but we have our Army at War 248, which just has Sergeant Rock talking to some people. I've got uh, this we rash have... forming.
1: Oh, I guess that's not the kind of thing <laughs> you're referring to. <laughs> well, that's
0: definitely staying in. Where's it. this rash? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Left leg? I, yeah. I don't want to know.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, we have Weird Western Tales featuring Jonah Hex and El Diablo. El Diablo Rojo that was my also nickname back in college as, oh yeah also known as the weeder without a soul <laughs> um, and then we have GI combat with the haunted tank up against a kid with a gun so that's cool um, we have the witching hour with a Nick Cardi cover that's not as uh, eerie as he usually does for these but the <laughs> the, the book is now going monthly so that's always cool. Uh, we have Young Romance number one eighty five with a nurse being upset. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here.
1: I clicked okay. out for a second. Sorry.
0: Okay, no problem. Uh, with uh, a nurse being upset that some people are making out. Uh, we have From Beyond the Unknown number eighteen with an interesting looking Mike Kaluta cover featuring the space cabbie because he's awesome. And all his fares are six fifty. <laughs> yes, it is. Even back in 72, because 650 means a lot of different things in space. Yep. Um, let's see, we have Tarzan Presents Edward Rice Burroughs' Weird Worlds. And this is the first issue. And it's bi-monthly, but it's not the last issue. So this that should be interesting. It won't be around oh, featuring, long, that's for sure. <laughs> probably not, but the first story features Pelucidar and also, John Carter, Warlord of Mars. You know what? I don't think... when it, That trailer is out for John the John Carter
1: movie. Uh-huh. I'm a little worried, because sci-fi fans will normally know who John Carter is. The entire audience, after that trailer hit, just sat there like, who?
0: Yeah. I only vaguely know... I, I've heard of him, but I haven't actually followed any John Carter of Mars stories. So... I saw that and I was like, "That's that's interesting." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping more trailers are a little bit better at exciting me for it, because I, I, it's one of those things where it's one of those things I want to get into because it seems cool and I haven't heard too much bad stuff about John Carter of Mars. But that trailer is not one that's got me doing anything but Netflixing it once it comes out for a buck. At this point.
1: True. Sure. There you go.
0: But then again, um, now see, if we were playing the From Crisis to Crisis drinking game, we'd have to take a drink right now, because you said that. But <laughs> this, is <a> different, <laughs> this is a different show, so we don't have to do that. Um, but anyway, uh, I was going to say, oh, kind of like the Green Lantern trailer. The first one just made it seem like it was going to be a comedy flick, and then the other trailers were really cool. And then the movie then... ended
1: up being a comedy flick.
0: It was, but I thought it was still cool for all the wrong in, reasons. In my opinion.
1: I just thought it came out half-baked. That's all I'm saying. I know this isn't a Green Lantern <laughs> podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it, it it's not as bad as I've heard people say, but I don't think it's the best comic book movie ever. Well, stack it up against Captain America and X-Men First Class, and then... <laughs> well, yeah, It okay, if it was coming out at a different... not against all those, it would probably... Excuse me, have fared a little bit better, but because Marvel had all their awesome movies coming out all at the same time, did not help it. Yeah, it Any... was definitely <laughs> it was it definitely would have worked better as like what they were gonna do with Superman, The Man of Steel, and putting it out like December. Mm-hmm. It might, I think, it might have done better than trying to make it a big summer blockbuster because it just wasn't the right kind of movie for that. No. Now maybe the next one is if they up the action. Basically, I think they just needed a little more action.
1: Two. Yeah, the origin kind of dragged a lot
0: that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, But anyway, back in 1972 uh, There was Flash 217 And for some reason um, Flash is now 5 Flashes And also You know that awesome Everyone's buying it Highly selling Green Lantern, Green Arrow story It's now moved to the back of the Flash Yeah um, We have Secrets of Sinister House Number 6 now that is what you call a moody cover by Michael Kaluta. That looks really cool. I love how, I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's some kind of ink washing or what. But I love how some of these really have a very dark moody cover. Because I don't know how they do it. They also have Young Love, number 98, with some girl crying about somebody. And Mark says, don't dare me, I'll do it. I don't He know will who Mark do. Is. I've seen him do he, it. He is, and I don't know who Mark is, really, but he's got a photograph of an actual person, so I'm guessing he's a person of realness. Um, then we have House of Secrets number 99, with a dead-looking hand holding up a s- crystal ball with the dude being scared, and it looks like he's drawing something, so it's a comic book artist. Sweet. Uh, we have New Gods number 10, sh- featuring Orion kicking butt. Yeah, Orion Jack Kirby. is awesome. He is cool. I especially like um, the way. I don't know. My favorite version of Orion is when Jack Kirby draws him.
1: I, yeah. I've you seen can't nothing go wrong about with it. the
0: original. Um, However, I
1: can't say that about Darkseid.
0: No, I don't really like his version of Darkseid. I actually prefer, like, um, John Byrne or. Michael Turner did an awesome Dark Side. Michael Turner did an awesome Dark Side. I, I, uh, Walt Simonson does a pretty good Dark Side. Yes. Um, Tom Grummet did a cool Dark Side, like once or twice, and then, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other people that can draw a much better Dark Side than him. Unfortunately. I even liked, uh, can't think of his name Alan. It was a Superman special, up against Dark Side.
1: Oh. Pac looks down but I can't remember who did
0: the art yeah it was like Mike something Mike but yeah, you wrote, know it Was it th- Mike? it wasn't Ringo no I didn't like his version of Dark Side. <laughs>
1: that was the long way to making that point <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: yeah he, it wasn't a great one anyway uh, we have Star Spangled War stories and I'm thinking that's the unknown soldier on the cover but he looks like he's on a vacation um, House of Mystery 205 with another one of those eerie covers now, see, that looks almost photorealistic. The art they had in those, and then, of course,
1: you know, it's gotten clipped now, but the art they had in even the EC stuff from earlier, in the Golden Age, was just top-notch.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you wonder what it was... Well, maybe it's just because it's spooky stuff, and it's not considered as much kids' comics, so there's more... Like, like so they have an easier time getting into that and trying to draw superheroes and stuff, but... I mean... I'm thinking this cover might be some kind of photo manipulation thing, because that background... Now, granted, I can't see it very bigly. Bigly? Yeah, I think I made up a word there. You can't see it very big, clear, but that looks like a photo, and maybe with the moon and the coffin and stuff drawn in. I don't know.
1: That's a possibility. I know they did stuff like that, but... Yeah.
0: They used Bronze Age Photoshop. Yeah, which is great stuff. We have Justice League of America, number 100, which was not a special-sized issue, but it did feature the JLA and the JSA with the Seven Soldiers of Victory, which is pretty cool, if you ask me. I haven't read the issue yet, but I hear it's pretty cool. And you can find out about that issue Way down the road when we cover it on Podcast of Justice. It's gonna be cool. Check it out. Justice! Um, that's my dog. Oh. Really? <laughs> yeah, I named we named him Justice. Mine's Lucy, we'll see, Lucy Lane. So The Demon Number One also came out and it is colored a little differently than what we saw on that ad, but it's still cool nonetheless. However, um yeah, the cover was right the colors on the costume are the same. Um, We have Heartthrobs 144 where Donna Fane tells what to do about the other girl, which I guess would be the one in the boat. Um, Lois Lane, number 125, um, has Lois um, fighting against bikers on a giant Superman statue. Wow. You don't see that happen too often. Mm Mm-mm. Uh, we have unexpected I keep wanting to call this Tales of the Unexpected but it's just unexpected number 138 and it looks like there's some voodoo going on but that guy that's getting voodooed looks like fat <laughs> with a ph yeah <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no I mean look at him. he's got these skinny legs and stuff but as soon as you see his chest it's just it looks like a giant marshmallow kind
1: of like stay puffed
0: yeah and I don't know it's like he's wearing a pillow or something it's weird but it, it's hurting them. So voodoo, I guess, works. Uh, Batman 243 with an awesome-looking Neil Adams cover. And Superman is not in this issue at all because this is a Batman issue. And he's fighting a karate guy.
1: Watch out yeah, for anyway, the karate it's...
0: guy, Dolomite. Yes, and he's Asian. So it's an Asian... What did you say? <laughs> Watch out for the karate guy, Dolomite. Oh, I don't know that. Oh, you will. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, it's a, it's a 70s black exploitation flick. That was oh. It was one of the worst movies cuz you could see boom mics popping in. That's what
0: it's known for. Oh, that's the best kind of movie. Mhm. All right, we have girl's love story number 172. And speaking of that, we've got a guy in the background with a giant afro. Anyway, and I just want to point out um I think I pointed this out before, but I don't know if you've heard this. The editor is Dorothy Woolfolk and believe it or not, I found out listening to a Martin Pascal thing that the Mar- Dorothy Worf- well, mm hmm, that Dorothy lady is actually, um, now this is alleged because I don't I haven't looked this up, but apparently she's the lesbian lover? Uh, no, they didn't say that. The girlfriend of the woman that William Marsden was married to. Yes,
1: yes, I did know that because I covered Wonder Woman.
0: So, yeah, that
1: was... It was a menage marriage. I was pretty marriage.
0: shocked. Yeah. I was pre- oh, now, I knew about the menage marriage, but I didn't know that she ended up working for DC Comics. <laughs> yeah. So, when he said what her name was, I was like, nuh-uh. And I looked it up, and she was the editor, and I was like, that is so weird. But, yeah. I, now, I don't know if they were still together by this point, but I thought that was interesting. The Superboy issue, number 189 is one issue is a cover you wouldn't normally think to see on Superboy because apparently Jonathan Kent has hung himself or hanged himself hanged himself hanged himself yeah Jonathan Kent has hanged himself which um, you don't hear about because actually that doesn't happen so I'm wondering what happened on that maybe one day I'll read it but for now no Uh, but it also has a cool I don't know if it's cool because again I haven't read it but it has a runaway Superbaby story so that's interesting um, and that's gonna nope. There's still Tarzan number two eleven, which I think is the third or fourth, or maybe the fifth DC issue. And this book not only features the land of the giants, but also the land of the pygmies down in New Guinea.
1: Pygmies, giants, oh my! <laughs> I would uh, assume that that wouldn't be a good mixture when you think about it.
0: Yeah, that that wouldn't work too well, um, which I guess is why they had to put them in two different stories. But Adventure Comics number four twenty-two, uh, we have basically um, Supergirl playing Fay Ray. Is that her name? Fay Ray from King Kong. Fay Ray, I think, uh, to some mechanical, actually looks kind of Jack Kirby-esque machine robot monster thing on top of a skyscraper that is not the Empire State Building while a f- plane is shooting energy beams at it out of its nose cone. Which lets you know that this is a sci-fi story. But yeah, Supergirl could probably normally just kind of fly the robot away, but she's unconscious at the moment. Then we have Detective Comics number 426 um, where Batman has written a suicide note and has a gun to his head. So, obviously, this is a happy story. And that's another Mike Kaluta cover. Mike is actually a pretty good Batman artist, at least on the covers, I think. The he's ears, no Jim Aparo. You know, he's no Jim Aparo. He's no Neil Adams. He's no Dick Giordano. And the ears are a little curved. But it still looks pretty cool. And then, the final uh, comic to come out that month was Inferior 5, number 11. Now, I mentioned this louder than the others, um, and in a louder tone, because I actually looked this up. Inferior 5 um, had a 10-issue comic that ran in the 60s. 19, the last issue came out in 1968. This is actually, for some reason, a continuation of, that same, of the same book, continuing the same numbering, about four years later. And it's a bi-monthly book that only runs for two more issues before finally being canceled. Oh, Yeah, it's sad. But I just thought I'd point that out because I thought, I thought that was interesting. It's like... Wait. Back it, in the... What, what's that? How many issues did it run? <laughs> they put out two more issues so, before they canceled so it. So three. So it really was inferior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they had... So it got up... Let's see. They did ten issues in the 60s and I think it was monthly, cancelled it, let it sit on the sit at the side for four years, put out two bi-monthly issues, and then cancelled it for good. Wow. So, yeah, that's just kind of, poor guys, you, you kind of feel bad for them, but it, for one thing, in, the, in those days, granted it was bi-monthly, but it's pretty sad if your comic sells so poorly that they can't even do more than two issues. On the other hand, they could have been inventory stories that they were just throwing out there, and yeah, I don't know. But in, in any event, that's what happened, and that is June of 1972. So, um, I want to thank Mr. J. David Weeder for showing up today. I'd like to thank <laughs> Mr. Charlie Niemeyer for having me. Oh, glad to have you. You are welcome back anytime. Uh, if you know that I'm going to talk about something you want to talk about, just say it, and you can be on. And then that's um, when David started showing up every episode, just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, well, well, uh, we'll see you next episode where J. David Weeder is now my, current, my new guest host because he doesn't have – or my new co-host because he does not have enough podcasts <laughs> already going on <laughs> that he needs another weekly Superman show to <laughs> – I need to just to start showing up on podcasts them. for no reason. <laughs> yeah just randomly yep. just okay, I think this week I'm gonna be on from crisis to cry- I think this week I'm going to be on Golden Age Superman, and you don't even read the books, you just sit there and talk, yeah,
1: and just show up on uh, even people I don't know like i I, I don't know Stella
0: <laughs> Bowman that well, but I should show up on Batgirl to or Oracle oh, there you go, yeah, yeah, I don't know her either, but yeah, that would be or uh or even ones you wouldn't even normally think of like uh one of those Earth Two podcasts or um, I listen to this one that's uh Hinshin Justice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, just but, show up there and just hey Yeah. Hey, I don't know what you guys talk about, but I like Superman. Let's go. I'm expanding the franchise. <laughs> yeah. I talk about Superman and the Hulk and Captain America and I would love to talk about what else what did you guys talk about?
1: <laughs> this is a porn <laughs> cast. Thank you. All right. Well, I am love talking on. about
0: the <laughs> when, Hey, I was just on Charlie's show and they talk about big cans. So it was great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. And that's not going to be edited out either because that's funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, again, um, since we've been talking for about, I don't know, four hours now, wow, um, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you? Uh,
1: where can't they find me? No, uh, yeah, no, supermanforever.com, xavierspodcast.com, incrediblehulksmash.com, walkingdorks.blogspot.com, and I'm forgetting one. I know I am. Uh, Captain America. Yeah, Shield dot com. Thank you. I'm <laughs> it <putting> into the, <laughs> and, the senile old man that's forgetting the kids' names. And you're not even that old yet.
0: No. Um. Let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, and of course you can find this show. Um, at Superman SuperBronze nineteen seventy dot com, and also because I haven't ended it yet, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com dot blogspot dot com, and of course both of us are on Facebook and we have our shows on fa- have Facebook pages. Actually, I think all of J David Weeder's shows have and I keep calling you J David Weeder like I'm Darkseid. yes I <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show J David Weeder. Yeah. Anyway,
1: he's, he's, <laughs> he and I are going to actually have some therapy on the next episode of Superman Forever Radio cuz we've had a little rift, so
0: Yeah, I heard you say something but that's sad. Yeah, we're
1: going to we're going we're going to hug it out.
0: Is he still mad about the whole ditching him Metropolis thing? Yeah,
1: well you, that's what you do when you do when you pull off a Conway karaoke like that.
0: <laughs> I do like though that um, there was pictures you posted. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. I was like every t- as soon as I saw the first one I was like, oh my God, he's doing that. That's hilarious.. Yes. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> all right well, again, thank you for coming on. Um, and thank you all for downloading. I will see you next time. And hopefully, Mr. Weeder we'll see you again eventually.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm around.
0: I'm always around. All right. <laughs> okay, cool. So we'll see you guys later. You have a good week. Thanks Bye. for
1: me. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at
2: www.fortressofbaily2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork where new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze 1970libsyncom and supermanhomepage.com You can also subscribe to this show via RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for
1: listening, and God bless.
2: Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in the Superman DC publications.